future. The polar ice caps have melted, and the Earth lies beneath a watery grave. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. What did you see out there in your 15 lunars? Such as? An end? An end to all this water? You're asking the wrong person. Pure dirt. So what's the word? We trading or not? And the human dream is the search for a mythical place called dry land. It doesn't exist! How can you be sure? Because I sail farther than most have dreamed. I've never seen it. This place, this whole way of living, it's ending. Straight line leading directly. Directly to dry land. Dry land is not just our destination, but it is our destiny! Universal Pictures presents a world unlike any you have ever seen. Costner, Dennis Hopper, Gene Triplehorn. Waterworld. Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. There are always wonderful new pictures to see, delightful snacks to nibble, a gay, pleasant evening for all. We hope you have a wonderful time. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! After the melting of the polar ice caps, most of the Earth is underwater. Some humans have survived, and even fewer still, notably the Mariner, played by Kevin Costner, have adapted to life on the ocean. A loner by nature, the Mariner reluctantly befriends Helen, played by Jean Triplehorn, and her young companion Enola, played by Tina Majorino, as they escape from the hostile artificial island. Soon, the sinister smokers and their leader Deacon, played by Dennis Hopper, are pursuing them in belief that Enola holds the key to finding the mythical dry land. This is Jason. Welcome to TRN Drive-In and the second of 12 episodes in our TRN Drive-In 95 series. First, if you are listening to this podcast, we want to, of course, thank you for supporting us here on Patreon. We are truly grateful that you have pledged funds to listen to the show, but beyond that, we are just happy you've chosen the Retro Network to get your pop culture fix. I'm, of course, joined by Mickey. How are you doing? Glad to, uh, we are here again to cover another movie, and this is the first choice by you in our series. So, uh, what is it about Waterworld, I guess, that made you uh, choose this one for our series? I just always thought it had an interesting story behind it. And personally, I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it's got an interesting backstory that we'll get into. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, as far as all the movies that came out in 95 went, you're looking at the whole list, and you throw them down through them, and I hit Waterworld. I'm like, oh, yeah, Waterworld. 
And some of the movies on my list, this may or may not be one, just uh, come across them and thought, boy, this would be a good excuse to rewatch it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. I was thinking kind of the same thing because it had been a while and it is one of those movies that it was billed as a blockbuster and it was, you know, hyped pretty well that I can remember, but it's not one I have rewatched a lot along the way either. So yeah, I was, I was ready to give it another try. Well, and that's part of it too, is if we're doing a a single year, like we are in 1995, this was the most anticipated and biggest promoted movie of the year in 95. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard as much as we want to do movies. We just totally enjoy. There's a few that are, well, we really should do this one because right, yeah, and this is one of those movies. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. So, were you ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Well, let's get into some of the casting highlights. Some of them you you ran over there in the beginning, but uh, the main star of the movie, Kevin Costner, as the Mariner, which right there should have, and I guess it did. It helped put the movie on the map to begin with and start building up the hype for it because at mm-hmm. the time. Kevin Costner was one of the most bankable Hollywood stars that you were going to find for a movie. That's right. Uh, after being in Dances with Wolves and JFK, Field of Dreams, Bodyguard, and so on, his list is pretty long. But Gene Triplehorn, that's Helen that you mentioned, one of the bigger roles in the film. I'm not going to say a major role, but one of the bigger roles in the film. Coming off a few years earlier, Basic Instinct, where she played Dr. Beth Garner. And she was in The Firm and Mickey Blue Eyes. Um, Tina Majorino as Enola. Of course, as a child actor at that point in time. She had also done Karina Karina. And as she grew up, she eventually became more famous for television. She played Cindy Mac McKenzie on Veronica Mars series that a lot of people like. And she was on Camp Wilder for a long time. Uh, was on True Blood for a while, Grey's Anatomy. So she's had a pretty good TV career, mm-hmm. maybe not movie career. but And then Dennis Hopper, who I've kind of been on a Dennis Hopper kick lately between Waterworld and I just watched Speed again oh, oh, a yes. week and a half ago or so. I wish that movie came out in 95. No, but... I was thinking the same thing, man, when I was going through the notes. <laughs> what but, do you uh, do, Jack? What do you do? Yeah. Uh, one day you're going to wish you never met me. Mr. I'm already there. <laughs> That's such a good movie. And it rewatches so well. I watch it. It's probably been 15 years or more since I watched it. Anyway, we're getting off track. Here. Yeah, we are. Dennis Hopper, I guess his most legendary role is as Billy in Easy Rider that uh, mm-hmm. really put him and some other people on the map. And then there's a couple other interesting casting highlights I wanted to include because uh, Michael Jeter plays old Gregor. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, course people would probably his most famous role would probably be as edward delacroix on the green mile uh, or for some people maybe in jurassic park three mm-hmm. or again for some people polar express as the steamer he was the voice of the the guy there mr noodle on the elmo series too <laughs> oh and he had a long time role on evening shade that's so right yeah he, he he's got some acting chops behind him but i wanted to mention him and this next guy kim coates who the name probably don't ring a bell for a lot of people, but uh, was on Sons of Anarchy, uh, been in several other movies. But those two in particular, any movie that Kevin Costner has kind of had a role in producing or directing, you see those two actors. 
So he was a big fan of those two guys individually, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. With Michael Jeter playing uh, on open range as Percy, which was uh, a good character in that uh, movie. Yeah, I've been it's been a while since I watched that one. That's a great movie. Yeah, I just watched it about three weeks ago again. That is a great western. I think Kevin Costner, when he's wanting to produce or direct, he needs to stick with westerns because he's just great at them. It, it's yeah. hard to go wrong. Of course, it's hard to go wrong in any movie if you cast Robert Duvall as your co-star. <laughs> that movie. <laughs> True. Yeah. That movie has a very high floor if you put Robert Duvall in it, whatever yeah. movie it is. So, And then one other little casting highlight, an early appearance from Jack Black in this movie. <laughs> as he I, is the airplane pilot for the I, smokers. I did not realize that. I watched the entire movie, and then I went over to IMDb just to kind of look at the, the cast. I was like, wait, what? Jack Black? Mm-hmm. And I had to go back and, and look at that scene. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I was reading. Missed me. I was reading through the oral history of this movie, uh-huh. and uh, they were asking some of the actors why they signed on for it. And Jack Black was like, "I'm young, it's in Hawaii, and it's Mad Max on the water. Why would I not do this movie?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he talked about getting to spend all that time in Hawaii because, well, as we'll talk about, the shooting ran way long. And they kept him there up in a hotel for the entire production, even though he was only in a few scenes. That's <laughs> so crazy. He, he was a big fan of it. But like we mentioned, you know, starting out, um, why I chose to do this movie, a lot of people think of different things when they hear Waterworld. And it's usually two things. One, that it was a box office bomb. And two, Kevin Costner drank his own pee. <laughs> 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 right there in the opening scenes of the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> which I'll do a little did you know that we're going to do later here first that in the uh, television debut of the movie, they actually edited out the stream of urine. You can hear it going in the cup, but you can't see it like you could in the actual theatrical <laughs> really? release. Yeah. Okay. A so, uh, little preview of some other did you knows coming up later there. Uh, <laughs> but it was a box office bomb because at the time, for 1995, it was the most expensive movie ever made, coming in at a total of $180 million. And I, I ran that through the inflation calculator. That would have cost $313 million to make today. Wow. And for people to have a comparison, Avengers Endgame cost $356 million. So yeah. if, if you look at the effects of the two movies, and you look at Waterworld, and you wonder, where did all that money go? Right. We're getting there, folks. I'll tell you where that money went here in a little bit. <laughs> but it only made back $80 million domestically. So uh, the 180 going out and only 80 coming in, you know, that's a loss of $100 million. Now, that's how we classify if a movie is a success or a failure, unfortunately, that it lost $100 million. They rarely add back in the international take. But even though it only grossed $80 million domestically, it grossed $176 million internationally. So when you add that money in, then it, it wasn't a bomb. But generally, when we think of financial bombs and stuff, we're only looking at the domestic money right. that it makes. Right. Because the international money takes a long time to come in. Because that would have been over the course of a year following, because it'll move from country to country. And rarely do movies play in multiple foreign countries at the same time for whatever reason. But you'll right. see that 
you know, it opens here in America and then two months later it opens in Japan or parts of Asia and then it opens in Europe or vice versa. So it takes a long time for all that to come back. So, but, uh, here's the thing. People think back negatively on Waterworld, even though we, we just talked about that it actually made its money back. It's still an attraction at Universal Studios Hollywood today. Did you know that? No, I didn't. It is still. And last year, it continued its string as being the number one rated attraction by visitors there. You're kidding me. No. So people who, who down Waterworld consistently online and you know you can search Waterworld and you'll read a ton of negative press about it but the fact that it actually made its money back it's still an attraction at a theme park it's still the number one rated attraction at a theme park the movie still has legs Mm -hmm. so there's some people out there that like it there has to be or it could be that that show there Universal Studios Hollywood is just such an unbelievable show that it don't matter what the subject matter is people are are uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excited by it. I did end up watching that on YouTube and there's even a clip of I don't know, it was like Good Morning America or Entertainment Tonight where they went behind the scenes of the show and just uh showed how to, they pulled it all off and launching that airplane up in the air, like free falling into the water and uh <laughs> it was neat to watch the show. It it is an incredible show. <laughs> I'd sit down and watch it back to back, you know. It was that good. So and I know it was a different time then, but we live now in the age of remakes and reboots and movies based on old properties. Waterworld was cool in the fact that it's a movie based on a totally new and original concept right? that, that they came up with. So Very high concept, you know. Yes. It just kind of gets your brain turning and it, it, it was just new you know, well, compared to most things that I could remember at the time. We'll cover later, but it it didn't start out to be intended that way. Yeah. Well, another little teaser for some did you know stuff. Okay. But thinking about the legacy of it, back in 2015, Kevin Costner sat down and did an interview where he said, and this is a quote, I'm not sure you know how hard people work on films. I'm not sure you know how beloved the movie is around the world. Being hard on a film is really easy if you don't know the underbelly of what went into it. When you do know the forensics of a movie, the participation and decisions of others that one has to stand in front of, you can't help but see it differently, he said. I know that people might think of Waterworld as a low point for me, but it wasn't. It could have had a better, more obvious outcome. The thing I know is that I never had to stand taller for a movie when most were going the other way. The movie, with all its imperfections, was a joy for me and a joy to look back upon and to have participated in. So Kevin Costner's not down Mm -hmm. on the movie or ashamed of the movie. Of course... You know, just about anything we choose to do in life, you want to stand behind because you've personally made the choice to do it. You're always going to defend it. I don't know how much that plays into it. But uh, what do you think of when you think of, you know, just somebody brings up the movie Waterworld? I mean, it's immediately back to 95. Like I said, I had not watched it since then. I'm thinking I probably watched it in the theater. I even checked my, uh, my movie stubs that I had kept. Over the years, I uh, couldn't find it in there, but it just captures that moment, those couple months there where leading up to it and, and when it hit the theater, that it was just everywhere. All the you know advertising and merchandise and stuff that surrounded that, um, it was built to be, you know, like a, a major franchise mm-hmm. and they put the money behind it to 
kind of pursue that. And yeah, maybe there was some decisions made along the way, some stuff that you could have cut out to make the movie more, um, I guess, appealing across the board to kids too, you know, but yeah, it just kind of takes me back to that era mainly. It's just not been one that I've, you know, it's surprising to me that they still have the attraction out there, the stunt show. Very right. surprising. Well, it for me too, it takes me back to 1995 uh, because I was really excited for this movie. I don't know what I had originally saw or read that put it into my consciousness or made me excited to go watch it. But I remember for at least a solid month before it came out, I was just all in on Waterworld. And I was having discussions at work, you know, at the grocery store for cheap plug for people uh, here <laughs> on Patreon. Well, people here on Patreon already have access to it. Never mind. Grocery stories. But uh, <laughs> uh, at the grocery store, we had a lot of discussions. A lot of the vendors would come in. We'd talk about it. And, uh, you know, this was before the days of the, the Internet was in its infancy. I didn't have it at that point. Most people I knew weren't on the Internet. So you were spreading these rumors you know it's like well i heard this and well yeah they, they, i heard that they done this in the movie and i'm so excited to go see it and i did go see it i went to the theater which i've talked a lot about and most of these movies that we're going to discuss on this series i saw at the theater in 95 so i'm mm-hmm. really excited to talk about that facet but uh, my cousin mango and i who i've mentioned before i remember we went to watch this movie and even i can remember back then enjoying the movie which a lot of people don't seem to remember enjoying it when it came out, but we're, we'll get some of that later on too. But right. I personally enjoyed the movie then. I've never not liked the movie. I've never felt all these things about it that you read online. I thought it was a good movie. Now, had I known, which I did kind of know how much the budget was back then, but had I known how much money it would have lost, I, I still don't know if that would have reduced my enjoyment of it back then. Right. Uh, I could care less what they spent on the movie if I personally enjoyed it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So one of the questions we ask on this is, do you have any traditional viewings? I kind of doubt. I mean, I know I don't. I kind of doubt you have a no. traditional viewing time slot for water. No. Uh We both rewatched it before this show. Uh, that was probably the first time in at least 10 years that I'd seen it. Maybe longer. I'm thinking like 20 for me. <laughs> well, almost since back at the beginning. Right, yeah. Like rentals, whatever, in the 90s, uh, or on cable, when it finally came to cable. But, yeah. Well, uh, it made back $80 million domestically. And that may not have been the fault of the movie. Because one of the things we like to do here on this show is take a look at what else was going on around that time. Mm-hmm. So, it was released July 28, 1995. That's a little late in the blockbuster season for mm-hmm. what we're used to today. Usually they start early May right? Uh, and you get later on the summer, the lesser of the movie you get. But other movies that came out around that time that would have still been in theaters. First Night with Sean Connery and Richard Gere dropped on July 7th. Uh, Species came out July 7th. Nine Months with Hugh Grant, July 12th. Under Siege 2 with Steven Seagal, July 13th. That's another movie that, um, I mean, none of these movies mentioned so far are, were powerhouse blockbusters that should have knocked it off its throne. Right. But Indian in the Cupboard came out mid-July. Babe and Clueless. Clueless got a big word-of-mouth reputation going for it. 
it gained steam as it went on at yeah. the box office. That could have had a little something to do with it. A movie you're high on, The Usual Suspects, came out mid-July. Uh, that's another one that had a lot of word of mouth around it. Yeah, that was it. It's just one of those kind of Oscar buzz films, I think more or less, that it wasn't a, a widely billed until people started watching, but, oh, you got to go see this. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then probably the biggest kids movie of the summer, Free Willy 2, came out mid-July. And then opening the same weekend as Waterworld was The Net with Sandra Bullock. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was a that was a pretty big movie too, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Uh, because there, like I said, the internet was kind of in its infancy and people were, oh, what is it? And of course, I went and saw The Net at the theater and I thought, man, this internet's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Turns out it was nothing like what they depicted in the movie. Right, right, yeah. That's a <laughs> little rough to watch now, but um, oh, yeah. that was like her first lead role, essentially, yeah. wasn't it? That, yeah. that was her first movie that she was cast to carry it. Right. So, But here's the big one. Uh, coming out just a little under two weeks after the one that probably shortened its run in the theater was Dangerous Minds. Because that movie got a ton of hype once it actually hit theaters and yeah. Coolio's music video hit big. And yeah, I remember, at least in my world that I live in, Dangerous Minds was the movie everybody was talking about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, coming out two weeks after Waterworld, I'm sure that stunted its uh, money making potential there. And then August 25th, Desperado came out, which. Uh, is another favorite movie of mine from this era. <laughs> I believe it's on our list to do too. Yeah. So it, it was a blockbuster in the sense that of the hype surrounding it and the money they put into it. It doesn't change the classification of this movie was made to be a blockbuster. Right. It just failed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it went on to be released on DVD in November 1998 and got a Blu-ray release in 2009. So it's still out there floating around. You and I had a, I'm not going to say we had problems, but this movie is not readily available as far as streaming services go. No, I was digging through the Walmart bin too. I'm figuring I could find it in the, you know, the $5 bin that they've got there or even just uh, on a shelf somewhere, but no, couldn't find it in a, a couple different places I looked. And then, yeah, I actually subscribed to Stars. For whatever their trial is, uh, starting at five dollars a month, to uh, to be able to stream it, um, I was going to just rent it, and I was like, "Well, just pay a dollar more, and I'll be in the stars for at least a month." Uh, <laughs> but that, yeah, it's kind of surprising that it's not more readily available, given its history. You know, you would think that it would be on Tubi or something, right. um, but just not. I don't know why that is. Well, it could be there's just not much. Uh... A demand for it or on the other side um it could be the production company just thinks more of the movie than other people do and want more for the rights to yeah, show it so that's may true. scare people off so awards that <laughs> this movie didn't win i will say awards that <laughs> won but awards that it didn't win actually there's some it did win it was actually nominated for the academy award for best sound which I knew that going into watching it Uh and 
I didn't pick up on why it would have been nominated for best sound when I was watching. Maybe it was because of uh, that one scene where he's like crinkling the paper under the water and you can hear it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did you notice that? No, I didn't. <laughs> that was, it just kind of stuck out of my mind. Like, how are you able to get that crinkling paper sound underwater? I don't know. It it was just weird. Of course, the movie did feature an original score, so that may be. Of course, uh-huh. it wasn't nominated for best score. It was nominated for best sound. Maybe it was the descriptive sound of the urine hitting the bottle there at the beginning be, of the movie. Yeah, that you didn't need a stream <laughs> of urine for. Yeah. <laughs> At the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Science Fiction Film and Best Costumes. Now, that's something I'd give them credit for. The costumes were pretty neat in this movie. Very unique. I'll give them that. It was very unique. It was a little sci fi y in the post apocalyptic sense, not what most people think of sci fi. But at the Golden Raspberry Awards, it was nominated (laughs) for Worst Picture, Worst Actor for Kevin Costner, Worst Director for Kevin Reynolds. And Worst Supporting Actor for Dennis Hopper. It only won the Worst Supporting Actor. Which kind of ticked me off. Because Dennis Hopper, I think, seemed to know that he was in kind of a campy movie. And he played it to the hilt at that point. Yeah, I mean, gosh. I don't know that I would agree with that. Right. It uh, it scores 45% on Rotten Tomatoes, Tomato Meter, and 43% on the audience score, which was actually higher than I thought those numbers would be when I went to look them up because of the way people yeah. talk about it. A little less than 50-50, so, yeah. Yeah. Now, we talked earlier about how a lot of people enjoyed it. I put down here some review quotes from folks the, mm-hmm. the week that it came out. So, Newsweek said, a pretty damn good summer movie. So that's not a damning assessment of it at all. That, you know, it's pretty good. I wonder how much they got paid to say that. Well, that's beside the point. (laughs) We all do stuff for cash that we're not proud of. (laughs) USA Today's Mike Clark said, A two-hour aquatic pursuit pick with bruising stunts, fun-to-watch performances, a dozen good chorties, and imposing Panavision renderings of post-apocalyptic crud, Waterworld clearly has the makings of a cult movie which for me, this is one of my guilty pleasure slash cult movies. The Washington Post Dresden Thompson said, if the story seems a little waterlogged, it's still big, loud, and fun to watch. So early on, it's kind of looking like people are like, eh, but it it looks cool. (laughs) Right, yeah. The LA Times Kenneth Turin said, though Waterworld has some haunting underwater visual moments, the film's impact is weakened by flat dialogue an overemphasis on jokiness and a plot that, despite all those screenwriters, does not satisfactorily hold together at any number of points. Mm. So that's a bad review. Mm-hmm. But most people judge base their opinion on Roger Ebert. And he went and watched it on the day it was released, and this is what he had to say about it. So here it is at last, Waterworld. Two years and $200 million in the making. In the old days in Hollywood... They used to brag about how much a movie cost. Now they apologize. There's been so much publicity about this movie's budget that a review of the story seems beside the point. I should just print the spreadsheets. The cost controversy aside, Waterworld is a decent futuristic action picture with some great sets, some intriguing ideas, and a few images that will stay with me. It could have been more, it could have been better, and it could have made me care more about the characters. It's one of those marginal pictures you're not unhappy to have seen, but can't quite recommend. So a that middling review. Right. For, 
Ebert. Yeah, I mean, when I read that, I'm like, uh, I still recommended it to people. <laughs> yeah. From the, the stance of, especially back then when you first saw it, it is a visually striking movie. Mm-hmm. Those big wide ocean shots and stuff. It just, it visually looked good. And we'll get into more about those shots later on in the Did You Know. But I think it's time we give away our awards. Okay, let's do it, man. So, favorite scenes in the movie. I've got four wrote down here. I've got four, too. This movie is a... To me, it broke down into... You had four major scenes, and then the rest was transition scenes. of The way the movie seemed to be made and flowed. But uh, the first scene in, in order of appearance of the movie was the smokers attacking the atoll. Right. And for people who may not have seen this movie, when we say smokers, this world water world is ran on wind power it's sailboats and stuff but you have this group of smokers led by deacon who have gasoline powered jet skis boats planes and stuff which you and i knew right away but a lot of people who's younger wouldn't know that their base of operations was the old exxon valdez ship that ran aground in alaska in 1989 still had oil in it and that's how they were able to have the smokers so that scene when they attack the atoll that's early in the movie at about the half hour mark we've already been introduced to this artificial island when kevin costner's mariner arrives there to do some trading but then comes the attack from the smokers and i got to imagine this is where a chunk of that budget went to was for this one scene yeah and it's it was cool because you're like how the hell do they have jet skis and stuff man yeah, in in this you know futuristic, there's no the the whole earth is covered with water. How how do they have gas? So yeah, it's that was just uh, something that kind of came through my mind. I remember for the first time, and then they you know obviously it gets explained later. But well, they done a good job with uh, there's action all over the place in this, and there's explosions everywhere and fire everywhere. And I've never seen the show, the attraction show at Universal Studios Hollywood, but I imagine a lot of the stunts in it are the same ones you see in this scene. The the skiers right. hitting the ramp and jumping over the wall and such. Um, yeah. It's all action in this scene. Yeah. And, well, even, like, right after that, when they, I think this is the point when, when the first attack comes and then Mariner escapes on his boat Mm -hmm. and they're kind of pursuing him and you get to see all of his boat and all the mechanisms and everything that he has on there. That was one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. That escape from the atoll. Right after, yeah. Right after the attack too. So that was a nice chunk of the movie there with the attack and the escape. And the next scene um, would be what the DVD listing calls rough trade. And that's where he meets Kim Coates's character Mm-hmm. Uh, a drifter and he's wanting to trade paper for the little girl or <laughs> paper for some time with Helen yeah. and that whole fight scene in the hull of Costner's ship there. That was an interesting scene. And some of the more interesting parts of the whole movie in general is what they use as currency and it would be dirt and paper. Right. Because in a world covered with water, those two things are about the rarest element you're going to find. <laughs> That's right. And then down to dry land. When I watched that movie in the theater, when the Mariner takes Helen underwater and shows her dry land don't exist, it's all underwater, and floating through the cities and stuff, I thought that was just the greatest scene in the movie at the time. Yeah. 
taking the physics out of it, you know, going down several miles underwater in a plastic bubble, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't have worked. But Right, yeah. It was a little, you know, movie magic. Right. But, but yeah, oh gosh. That's definitely one of my nominees as well. Because you get down there and then you get the, the concept more or less hits you. You, you kind of understand it. Okay, yeah, there's still skyscrapers and, and whatever under the water. But to go down in there and, and just the the effects on that scene, I, I think they've held up more than I expected they would, you mm-hmm. know? And it's just a fun scene. The The timing of it is a little <laughs> skeptical, which we'll get into, but very visual appealing scene. Would definitely right. agree going down and, and going between the buildings and, and then later in the scene when they go up over like the hilltop and you can see the ski lift and stuff and you know, okay, well we're on top of a mountain here at this point. So, yeah. and then the, the last one I had as a nominee was what the DVD calls the coming of the Mariner. And that's when he arrives at the Exxon Valdez base and come hell or high water, he's coming to get that little girl back. Yeah. And, uh, I forgot how good that scene was until I rewatched it. You know, you watch some movie scenes, some action scenes like that, and you get the goosebumps from it. When he's striding across that ship, I actually got goosebumps watching it because the <laughs> Mariners portrayed as such a badass character and the stuff we've already seen him do in the movie. You're thinking, uh, yeah, it's on now. And it was. He laid waste to a lot of people in that scene. (laughs) He does, yeah. And one, like, trope that it just did not go down the path, and I had forgot that this happened, was when he's got the torch, and he's threatening to blow up the freaking boat. And, you know, you get into that situation most times in movies where you're trying to, you know, get a captive person back, and you're threatening to blow everybody up. Well, usually they just give up and they themselves surrender and then they become a captive. Not the Mariner. No, no. he j- dropping that torch and essentially blowing up the ship without, you know, possibly knowing if he'd be able to save her even from that. He just didn't care. And mm-hmm. that just was something that I don't you don't see much in movies uh, at that point in time and in that situation. Yeah, the. I thought the same thing that holy crap, he really dropped it. <laughs> right. So that I, I agree. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective of it being a common trope, but you're right. That is one that, uh, it deviated from the usual storytelling path. Yeah. So what would you give the award to for your favorite scene? Uh, well I had, uh, I had the scene with the trader, uh, the, the first escape from the smokers, the scene underwater, and I went ahead and nominated the opening scene. Whether you give it to the that award to it or not, it was just something you would not expect a movie to show. <laughs> Is this really how you're going to open your movie? Okay. <laughs> um, but it's... It, in a uh, bottle? Yeah, but it set the tone or it, it got your mind turning on, okay, there. this is salt water. There's no fresh water around. How are you surviving on the open ocean? And you're like, okay, so... I can kind of buy into that they've got some kind of contraption, even though it's waste to turn it back into <laughs> something you could drink. Uh, okay, uh, you know, I was at that point. It's you, you're shocked by it, and at the same time, you understand in as you're getting put into that environment why they did it. 
But I think it's still, I would probably give the award to the underwater scene. Like I said, it was just still visually appealing watching the movie and looking around behind them at at everything in the water. Um, I thought that was really good. Yeah, personally, I think that is one of the best scenes in the movie. But I'm going to give my award to the attack on the Atoll, just for the fact that it's early in the movie and you get this big action sequence. And there's Mm -hmm. stuff happening all over the place. You got the gunner who looks like some weird pig, mutated pig between those big guns firing. And it's where Deacon gets hurt and actually helps set the stage for his vendetta against the Mariner because he takes his eye. He's not only trying to get Enola because of the map they think is to dry land on her back. He also has a personal score to settle after that point. So favorite quotes and lines in this movie. I struggled (laughs) with this one. I did a little bit, but I managed to come up with three. I came up with one. And, okay. And it was paper. Have you ever seen such beautiful paper? <laughs> yeah. His, this, his accent. I don't know if that was his, like, <laughs> where he was from as an actor, if he's American or, it, but it almost was like, okay, he's from Ireland or someplace and just letting it go full force. But <laughs> paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How much for the wee one? (laughs) Right. Uh, He had some good quotes, but other than that, there was nothing that really stuck out to me. What about you? Okay. So the ones that that stuck out to me, uh, and we are here on Patreon, so I can uh, quote curse words. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one was just simply the guy, when he drops the torch and that poor old man in the oil refinery down there, and he's like, oh, thank God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then the thing blows up, you know. It was like years of frustration and whatever, how he ever got down there is relieved. And he just is glad to be blown up. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. Um, okay, so when uh, when the Mariner takes his stand on the ship and uh, Deacon and his buddies are up there on the little scaffold or uh, porch and with Enola and... Uh, Deacon looks down at him and and once he reveals himself that he's the Mariner, he says a a line, something to the effect of, he's like a turd that won't flush, you know, (laughs) (laughs) surprised him being there. And my wheels were spinning like, do they even use toilets at this point? (laughs) That that would be a reference to the people around him. You know, I don't know how far away from uh, the actual, you know, polar ice caps melting are we? to have a toilet, but I guess they probably had toilets on the ship. Yeah, they probably did. So, uh, and then the last one was when, uh, when Deacon gets his new eye and <laughs> he asks everyone around and they all, Oh, it looks great. It looks better than the original or your other eye, you know? And then he finally asked the girl, like one of his, uh, cohorts off the side, looks like shit. <laughs> and then he gets the mirror. Uh, you know, You're right. and, it does look like shit. Yeah, it does look like shit. And it feels like cold shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the line. Yeah. He had another line that I really liked too. And all the stuff was going down and he looks at his people around him. He's like, don't just stand there, kill something. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other, uh, I guess it's more of a scene. I probably should have nominated it as a scene, but when they've got the two people like strung up, and they're asking questions about where's the little girl, you know, and he was the first person that tells me gets to live. And yeah, 
and if you tell me or whatever. Anyway, he shoots the person, and then the guy tells him, and then he goes to back to shoot him. He's like, you, you said you weren't going to kill me. And then he, he he's kind of like, did I say that? I, I guess I must have said that, you know, and he passes the gun to his, his <laughs> muscle there, and then he just blows him away, you know. Just, I, I don't know. That was full-on Dennis Hopper right there. You well, know. you know, we talked earlier the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Supporting Actor. Uh, if this was supposed to be a serious role and this is what we ended up with, sure, I can see that. But Dennis Hopper done a fantastic job. He knew what the role was. He made that role. Yeah. I, it, it, for me, it's hard to give him like the Worst Actor, Worst Supporting Actor Award right. because... His character was supposed to be this way, and he done an awesome job portraying that character. Right, and he portrayed it. He had a different portrayal when he was around, surrounded by his buddies, his inner circle, just like that scene. And then he was a totally different person when he got up there and was doing his little speech to everybody, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's not the I, actor's fault for how the role was written. Right. You, you cannot like the character but it don't mean the actor didn't do a good job portraying that character. He done such a good job. That's why you don't like the character. That's right. He had a couple other lines too, when he kidnaps the girl, Enola, and he's down there trying to get her to spill the beans. And <laughs> what did he say? It was something like, uh, well, if he does come for you, he'll find little pieces of you in a goddamn jar, you know, <laughs> 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 trying to threaten her. And, yeah, that was just uh, that was a little over the top, but well, it sounds like know. something my dad would say. Yeah, <laughs> my yeah. dad too. My dad too. And uh, and like this, this is not necessarily because of the way she delivered it. It was a great line that when the Mariners on the ship, and it keeps cutting back and forth between him killing people and flipping over to her describing him. Yeah. And that one line she said, he doesn't have a name, so death can't find him. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. That is a great line. Like her quote of it wasn't so well delivered, but it was a great line. Yeah. And also Deacon offering her a cigarette, telling her, you know, you're yeah. never too young to start. Smoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I tell people. I'm like, you know, all your cool friends are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And then also Deacon's line too. I forgot. I looked this up while we was talking when he says, let's have an intelligent conversation here. I'll talk and you listen. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that one. I got a chuckle out of that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with my favorite being the, he don't have a name. So death can't find him because I forgot about that one. Yeah. I remember liking it when I was watching it and I didn't write it down for whatever reason. That's, that's a good one. I think just, uh, since you chose one for Deacon, I'll, I'll do the old man down there. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Cause I, I, I laughed. I, I laughed out loud at that one. I thought that was funny. So speaking of that man who stole the show in a minor role, it was hard to even find nominations for this because there were a lot of minor roles, but none of them were that memorable. But right. the drifter played by Kim Coates, old Gregor, the Michael Jeter. And I actually wrote down the dude in the bottom of the oil tank because he had two scenes and mm -hmm. both of them. He was the highlight of the scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Down to what would he say? Down to four feet, you know, whatever he was measuring, how much oil they had left. And the two that I wrote down were Kim Coates and Michael Jeter for minor role. And 
you know, uh, I think they could have did a little bit more with Michael Jeter. He was good in the scenes that he was there. His, I mean, as far as just the the lines and and what he does. I mean, he's just floating around in that balloon. And <laughs> there's a couple times where I was like, how did they not at least hear something? You know, I guess it is wind powered, but it's almost like, hey, I'm here. Grab this rope. You know. <laughs> um, but I think I would probably give the award to Kim Coates as that drifter and. He's almost like Joaquin Phoenix light. You know what I mean? He's yeah. just, he's, uh, I, I remember watching, uh, like the first couple seasons of sons of anarchy and he was great in that. And mm-hmm. he just always has that. He, he doesn't get outside of what he can do. You know what I mean? That's just kind of what he does. He's that kind of weird or evil natured or, um, I don't know. He's got that edge to him. Right. And even though some of the dialogue was funny, like you were saying with the paper and, and all that, um, that was a great scene in itself, just coming up, you know, what would happen if you came upon somebody and you're, you're kind of cautious and you don't know the guy. And I thought he portrayed that very well. Yeah. I've always liked Kim Coates and everything he's done that I've seen. So, uh, I would give it to him too. But speaking of the old man in the bottom of the oil tank, I love the part where Deacon spit and it fell all the way down through there and hit him in the forehead and knocked him down in the boat. (laughs) 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 That was a fun little thing. So, well, the next big one then was who was the MVP of the movie? And to me, there's only two choices, the Mariner, Kevin Costner or Deacon Dennis Hopper. Mm -hmm. That's, I would agree with that, but it's a, it's a tough vote because I don't think you have the movie. If you take out either one of them, I don't think you have the movie. So, right, right, and uh, it's not a typical, you know, Kevin Costner role. He plays pretty much an asshole the whole movie, and it's for a good reason, you know, because he's he's the the loner, the the tough guy at at points, and kind of does his own thing. So, having uh, Helen and Enola around bothersome you know at first and i thought he he did mm-hmm. he played that out well but it's not your typical lovable kevin costner role you know what i mean <laughs> so he i think it's not his fault obviously that that's just the way that the the character was and i thought he did a great job with that and actually as we'll get to it is kevin costner's fault that's how the character was <laughs> oh it is okay well yeah. yeah we'll get into that um and as far as uh hopper goes yeah, I could, could I picture maybe somebody else in that role? Probably. Um, and I'm probably guessing that wasn't their first choice um, based on the budget. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, that, that was the thing, too, that kind of threw me off just uh, reading what the budget was going in. And you've got um, one major star, and, well, two with Hopper, but Hopper wasn't necessarily way high you would expect for a, a huge budget movie they would have got somebody even more well, name recognition but think about it too this was coming off of his great performance in speed so his cost probably went up after that before true. they hired him here that's, so that's true that's true but um yeah i i'm, I'm kind of leaning towards costner on this one yeah uh from a character standpoint if i'm voting between the Mariner and Deacon, I think it's a tie from an actor standpoint. 
it would be Kevin Costner because this movie don't happen without Kevin Costner name mm-hmm. attached to it. Mm-hmm. And something to remember too, about the Dennis Hopper and what he may have cost. We're still in that era from then that if you had one major hit movie back in the old days, like he did with easy rider, you wrote your own ticket after that. Yeah, You, were you charged what you wanted. So I'm sure, I don't know what his salary was for this movie, but I'm sure, like you said, it, it went into the cost of that budget. Mm-hmm. But when speaking of these actors and stuff, one of the things we like to do is talk about is this such and such as best role, most iconic role, you know, whatever. I think these are actually kind of easy to answer, but right. was this Kevin Costner's best role? No. No. But just for fun's sake, since that's not even a debate, what is your favorite Kevin Costner role? It's it, there's a it's a toss up. I wrote down four that just really I can watch at any time and really enjoy Tin Cup, Field of Dreams, Dances with Wolves, and The Untouchables, which I think uh, not necessarily uh, you think of when you think of Kevin Costner and his like more uh, high, more box office movies. But right. I love him in The Untouchables. I did um, too. As Elliot Ness. I think my favorite uh, Kevin Costner portrayal is in JFK when he's Jim well, Garrison. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It would, it would be a fun debate to just to do a podcast on what's the best Kevin Costner role. Cause you can, you can make a case for a lot of the movies. Yeah. And, it, and it's one of the things that you have to really preface the discussion. Are we talking, this is what I think Kevin Costner done the best job doing or again, like I said, it's somebody who writes the character. Is this my favorite character that he got to play? I don't know where it falls in, but his character, Charlie from open range that we talked about earlier was yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. Just the way he portrayed, uh, that laid, I ain't gonna say laid back, but that tough guy who didn't feel the need to prove he was a tough guy. But when it came to it, when they're having that stare down with the marshal in the cafe and the marshal says something. And Charlie just quickly changes his stance and flips his coat back, and puts his hand on his gun and just stares at him, you know, yeah. or, or even better when he slides that mug down and hits that bartender in the face with it when he's leaning <laughs> over the bar. So I think that may be my favorite character he has played, but I think my favorite job he has done as an actor is playing Jim Garrison in JFK okay. because of uh, his accent and stuff. But was this Dennis Hopper's best role? Oh, and, Ke- and Kevin Costner, um, 13 Days. Have you watched that one? Yeah. About the Cuban Missile? I, that yeah. one I really love, too. Uh, he's got that Boston accent in that one. Um, Hopper, uh, no. I wouldn't say this is not his best, uh, in my opinion. Um, Me either. I love him in Hoosiers, playing the drunkard. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Speed, you, we brought that up. He's great in that. You know, I would probably put King Koopa above. No, <laughs> Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. No, uh, he, I, he's just. Uh, I, I don't know. I probably Speed is probably my favorite role of his. Uh, whether it's it, his best, I don't know. I think his best is uh, Easy Rider, but my favorite is Speed. Mm-hmm. I like him as the bad guy in Speed. He didn't get a lot of screen time and speed either. That's how you know it's a great performance when they don't Steals, get a lot of yeah. screen time, but they still steal the show. Yep, steal the scenes. Yep, absolutely. Was this Gene Triplehorn's best role? No, I don't. It's really ahead. between this and Basic Instinct. <laughs> so, well, see, I don't have a lot of point of reference with her. I've never seen Basic Instinct. 
Um, I don't remember if I've ever watched The Firm. I don't think I have. The only thing else I know her from is the TV show Big Love. You remember that show that was on uh, HBO? I know the show, but I never watched it. It just and it was kind of weird because uh, I had just moved here. I kind of moved to Montgomery ahead of my family, and I was staying with my sister-in-law and her husband. And it was like right towards the end of like the last season of Sopranos, and right after it came on was Big Love, and we started getting into that show. And she's one of the wives on there. So between that and Waterworld is my only kind of point of reference for her. So I guess this might be her best role for me, but. I'm going to give it to her by know. default because, yeah, that uh, unfortunately for her, she's not had any real standout roles. Right. So it's kind of, they're all middling stuff. So how do you put one above another at that point? Yeah. She did say in that oral history that her agent talked her into doing this film because she didn't really have a lot else going on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Kevin Costner. It's, it's right. a big budget blockbuster and you're, you know, you're going to be one of the co-stars. And so she done it. She said though, that if she herself had actually read the script, she wouldn't have done the movie. Really? She just went on her agent telling her, you need to do this movie. So interesting. And I, I don't know, Tina Margarino, I would guess probably Veronica Mars would be. And I just say that because my wife loves that show. Yeah. And I just <laughs> go she, with that. She was in Napoleon dynamite too. Mm-hmm. So that might be a favorite role of, of many people uh, in that movie. And she was actually on Big Love, too. I didn't realize that when I was looking through her biography because I had, <laughs> I had she's got that kind of recognizable face now as an adult, but I, it was mainly guest stars on you know various television shows, I think, like you were saying at the top of the show mm-hmm. that I've known her from. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Well, it's the point in the show when we get to casting what ifs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't find any casting rumors as far as this person was approached or whatever because Costner and Kevin Reynolds set out. They knew the movie they wanted to make and they knew who they wanted in it. So there was no <laughs> there was yeah. no backtracking on anything. So I thought it would be fun. I come up with a few here. Would this movie be better or worse with Tom Cruise as the lead star? And I, I use Tom Cruise because in early 90s, mid 90s, he was the star in Hollywood. Uh, worse. I, I think so, say. too. As bad as, I hate to say as bad as the, this movie's acting was, but you're right. It would be worse with Tom Cruise in the lead role. <laughs> it would, right. I think he would try to ham it up too much and, and stuff. So, And when I was thinking of him, I thought of his partner at the time would this movie be better or worse with nicole kidman playing helen i think it'd be better yeah i i think so having a a more recognizable person there i don't know how many people i guess you know gene Triplehorn had some movies leading up like you said to the movie so that people would probably recognize her but yeah i i think you could definitely put uh somebody else in there to to get a better or a a, a a better performance, I guess you would say. Yeah. And then this was my favorite one. Would this movie be better or worse with Jack Nicholson as Deacon? Jack Nicholson. It would have been interesting. I, uh, I don't know. It's just kind of hard to not think about Dennis Hopper there. Right. Um, I would, I don't know. (laughs) That's, it's a good question to think about. What do you think? 
I think it would be a different kind of um, quirky character. I think it would be good, just a different good, if that makes any sense. Right, yeah. It's. I, I think he would have portrayed it differently than, than I think Hopper he would have did. come a little... I think he would have been a little more serious with it. And maybe that's mm-hmm. what the movie needed. Maybe... Maybe it was too over-the-top campy with Dennis Hopper's character. Maybe if it was a little more grounded with a real villain, the movie may have a different uh, reputation at this point. Okay, so let me... I'm going to jump in here because watching the movie on Amazon, they throw in little facts and stuff, and I was trying to stay away, but I thought I remember seeing something about uh, approaching a couple people as uh, Deacon. Okay, here we go. So, as far as uh, different roles for Deacon or people that turned it down, it looks like they approached Gene Hackman, they approached James Caan, and Gary Oldman. Out of those three, what do you think? I think James Caan would have been excellent, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. I think he's probably the closest to what we got as far as Hopper goes. Right. Is what you would expect out of the character. Oldman is, he can be uh, menacing in his own right. That would have been interesting. I can't see Gene Hackman doing that. No, I can't either. Yeah, that one is, of all the people, that one is probably the farthest from the the role that I can think of. I'm going to leave those facts up in case... uh, I'm, I'm sure you've got a long list here, but there's a couple in here that I'm like, ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, let's get on to those did you knows. Okay. So I, I put my, my favorite one first. Rumor had it that Kevin Costner demanded that the special effects team add computer-generated hair to hide the fact that he was balding. <laughs> what? Yeah. And Kevin Costner, I mean, it was actually a big enough rumor that Kevin Costner actually addressed it in an interview and said, that's bullshit. Well, it's weird. Uh, I didn't know if that was kind of his full hair with the ponytail in the back, you know, up high. And I don't know if maybe maybe that has something to do with it. Um, Wow. I've never heard of anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've done a little reading and that's one of the things I come across twice. It's understandable, though, because, you know, you get out in the water and if you're Mm -hmm. losing your hair, it's going to show a lot more. Well, that's probably where a lot of the budget went to, was those effects. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been cheaper if it just went and got plugs. Yeah. (laughs) What's this this line item on the budget here, Kevin? Uh, uh, Hair club for men. (laughs) (laughs) Long distance calls to Cy Sperling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And after all the talk about the budget of this movie, it was originally intended to be the opposite of a big budget blockbuster. The script was actually written in the late 80s, and it was commissioned by Roger Corman, which, you know, the legendary B-movie maker and producer. But it was ultimately decided that the movie couldn't be made for no less than $3 million, so they sold the script. So they were originally going to try to do this as a Roger Corman movie. Interesting. Yeah, this movie, I don't think, works on any level without the effects. Mm -hmm. That would be... The stunts, yeah. Yeah. Well, and part of the the cost of the effects and stuff was they insisted, Kevin Costner and Reynolds both insisted on shooting this movie on the ocean, not, you know, in the studios like most right. other water movies were. 
And when they decided to do that, the director called up Reynolds, called up uh, Spielberg about shooting Jaws out on the ocean. And Spielberg told him it was the worst mistake he ever made. <laughs> yeah, they did it. Uh, they anyway. did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Over 36 different writers tinkered with the script, but only two ended up getting credited for it. And the reason so many people tinkered with it was once they bought the rights for it, uh, there was so much that Costner and Reynolds wanted to change and they had to, They'd have people come in and work on it and change it. And then they didn't like what they changed and then hire somebody else to come in and change That's that change. So who so, was the uh, official writers for the script? Do you know? Uh, I didn't put it in here because they were names I had no recognition okay. of. But one of the uncredited script doctors was Josh Whedon. Mm-hmm. So um, That's he was what I just asked with putting Costner's own ideas into the screenplay. He called himself the world's highest paid stenographer and called the experience seven weeks in hell. Yep. I just saw that on the, my little Amazon facts here. I was like, wow, seven weeks of hell. And part of it was, and we was talking about how Costner was responsible for his character. He and Reynolds had a difference of opinion on how the character should be. Kevin Costner wanted more of, uh, the character that we got, a stoic, not really good, not really bad person, while Kevin Reynolds wanted more of an Errol Flynn-type swashbuckler character out of the Mariner. And what we got was what we got. And that was part of what Josh Whedon's job was, was to kind of merge those two ideas. But he ended up having heavy influence from Kevin Costner and went like 90% that way. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Another fact for this movie, Dean Simler, the cinematographer who shot the Mad Max movies also shot Waterworld, which makes a lot of sense. That's right. who you would want to make this movie because right. it's kind of uh, this movie is a lot of times referred to as Mad Max on the water. Right. Yeah. So this Absolutely. was perfect. And we mentioned it was shot on the ocean, most of it off the coast of Hawaii. You'd think Universal would have known better since they had the hurricane plague shoot when they were doing Jurassic Park a couple years earlier. But they right. didn't. Yeah. And this is why this is a big chunk of why the cost on this movie was so high. A hurricane hit the Waterworld set. The storm sank the whole floating atoll set that we talked about from my oh favorite my. scene in the movie. And they had to completely rebuild it. Oh wow. So oh, wow. After they had sunk all that money into it and built up that artificial island and stuff, a hurricane came through and destroyed it and they had to redo every bit of it. And that's wow. also what pushed the shooting schedule so far back too was the time it took to rebuild because that was a main set in one of the main scenes in the movie. It's hard to not redo it at that point. Right. So, some other stuff with filming on the ocean. Early in the shoot, Gene Triplehorn and Tina Majorino were thrown from the Mariner's boat when the bowspring snapped off and they nearly drowned. It took a team of 12 divers to rescue them. Wow. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was in her mind when she was saying she probably wouldn't have done it in hindsight. Right. <laughs> Jeez. And Costner himself had a bad sequence, too, when uh, he was lashed to the mast of his boat. The craft drifted out to sea, and it took over a half hour for the rescue team to reach him and untie him. Jeez. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, this movie uh, is plagued with that kind of stuff 
Tina Major Reno talked about in the oral history that she was stung by jellyfish on seven different occasions while this filming is. Wow. It inspired Costner to nickname her JC, which was short for jellyfish candy. <laughs> jellyfish candy. Wow. During post-production. Oh, I forgot. I didn't actually have this on the list, but I remember reading it. Speaking of all this stuff, there was one scene. Well, the scene at the end of the movie where Kevin Costner bungees down to the water and grabs yeah. Helen. Yeah. They told Gene Triplehorn when they were filming that Gene Triplehorn did her own scene and they had her slip her foot through a loop and a rope under the water to hold her in place and told her that when the guy, I guess it was a stunt guy on the bungee cord came down when he grabbed her hand, release your foot from the rope or you'll be pulled apart. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Wow. Uh, so that scene, they actually filmed that scene. That's not special effects. That's a guy on a bungee cord ripping her up out of the water. Wow. It's interesting. (laughs) So less than three months before the film's release, director Kevin Reynolds quit during post-production over disagreements with him and Kevin Costner and Kevin Costner ended up finishing editing the movie himself. And they had a big rift over this for a while, but they eventually got back together to make other movies open range being one of them. So, oh, okay. So all works out all's well that ends well, as they say, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about earlier, the home base for Deacon and the smokers was the Exxon Valdez ship that ran aground in Alaska in 1989. People who would catch this movie today, Let's take my daughters, for instance. My oldest watched this with me. She had no point of reference to what that ship no, was. No. None. <laughs> I think yeah. the most ridiculous thing about that ship was the huge oars. <laughs> they, yeah. I was. There's no way. There's just no way you're going to move it. I, I don't know. And I love that was the, just me. The painting <laughs> of the ship's captain that Deacon kept calling yep. Saint Joe. <laughs> oh, Saint Joe. Yeah. Talking to him. That was great. The. Uh, which, without, I guess at the time when the movie came out, you didn't need explanation because we were just six years from that and it was still fresh on everybody's mind. But right, right. It, that probably, my daughter was probably a little confused. Like, where did this ship come from? Where, why is there a ship? How is this ship here? Where did the ship come from? And uh, we'll get uh, here in some unanswered questions here in a minute about the ship itself. But uh, in 2012, it was reported that Waterworld was going to be remade. And I've done some research following that up, and I can't find anything where that ever got off the ground. But it, at the time, it was reported in all the uh, Entertainment Weekly and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. there was some traction behind it at that point in time. Interesting. One of the... There is, you know, we talk about these movies when we do these rewinds. There is some alternate versions of this film, some different cuts... Mm-hmm. And one of the scenes that was cut is at the end. It's an alternate ending. Have you heard about this? I watched it. Yeah. I went over to YouTube because I was looking, okay. I wanted to watch the trailers and see any deleted scenes and stuff. And I did find the alternate ending where Helen and Enola find the plaque. Yes. Recognizing Sir Edmund Hillary's being the first person to see, climb Mount Everest. I had that in the back of my mind uh, when I'm watching, rewatching this movie that, Okay, so wherever they find this dry ground, it's got to be like 
a tall mountain. It's got it's got to be like Mount Everest, but yet it's tropical. It's like <laughs> it's there's some grass everywhere. I'm like, okay, so this can't be Mount Everest. I don't know why I had well, that in the back of my mind. That because Mount Everest is snow and ice covered now. Who knows what's under there? Well, it's, it's I mean, I guess thaws. Right. I'm not, I'm not I'm not expecting snow at this point, but <laughs> how lush and tropical unless it's, you know, decades later. I guess that could be possible, but <laughs> yeah, well, watching that alternate ending, okay, so that's how I had that planted in the back of my head. So, well, and the implication of them finding that is if this is the highest point on Earth, right? Then you know the rest of the Earth is nothing but water now, right? Because you've only got the top of Mount Everest sticking up. So that's what I had for the did you knows. Did you have anything else? One more that I found. Uh, on Amazon as far as casting what-ifs. As far as the role of Deacon and who turned it down, there's a uh, note here that Samuel L. Jackson turned it down. Oh my gosh, that would have been awesome. To be in Die Hard with a Vengeance that year. Okay, well I wouldn't want to make that trade. Because I love Zeus and Die Hard with a Vengeance. So that was uh, that was an alleged uh, casting what-if. Man, that would have been cool though. I hadn't thought about that. He never even entered my mind. I, I like that idea. Yeah. So okay, well, uh, that's it. That's all for me as far as any additions there. All right. So unanswered questions. And this is questions that we think of, you know, while we're watching the movie that we never got an answer to in the movie. And I got two. And okay. my first one, if Kevin Costner has a machine that filters his urine into clean water, why does he not just put seawater in it? Wouldn't it work the same way? Hmm. I never even thought about that. I guess it probably would. And clean uh, water was like one of the most sought after things. He could have been rich beyond his wildest dreams with that little machine. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, several times, you know, throughout the movie, he, even the one where they're in the balloon headed towards dry land and he uses the last of the little water there and uses it to rub on Anola's lips, you know, mm-hmm. that's a very good point. Didn't even think about that. That could also be considered a nitpick or a flaw. And then I've got one more. We don't know how far they have to travel in the balloon to reach dry land. But we know it can't be too far because they didn't die of dehydration or anything. So when they left the Exxon Valdez, they weren't very far from Mount Everest. How'd that ship get from Alaska to not far from Mount Everest? (laughs) Right, yeah. You would have to travel. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Of course, like you said, it depends on how long the time period is of this movie since everything happened. I guess it could float for years and end up close to there. Yeah. One question I had was how that balloon thing worked, because if there's no wind, is it just <laughs> a boat at that point? You know, uh, how do you, uh, how do you last that long to get from Alaska to Mount Everest? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what's that balloon filled with? <laughs> right. Right. How's it? Of course, if you ask too many of those questions, you take yourself out of the movie. Right. Yeah. You've got, and that's what kind of makes this movie interesting is going through those questions in your head and kind of putting yourself in that realm of uh, surrounded by water and just that whole environment. I thought is you, you can't, you can't dwell on it too much, but having those thoughts, I think makes the movie interesting, you know? And, you know, I said he could have been rich with that water machine. He takes Helen under the water and scoops up that handful of dirt, and that's their currency. Why does he not have every container on his ship 
full of dirt. Right. You know, I, of course, I don't know that wealth would do much for you in that world. So well, you'd probably not would, worth the trouble. Right. You could uh, definitely barter what you need, food. Well, I guess he's capable of fishing. So mm -hmm. <laughs> with that huge, weird looking thing that he gets <laughs> eating eyeballs and everything. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know why uh, there's like, obviously it's attractive to other people having the dirt and being able to plant and provide. Well, there you go. I mean, he can, food. he can survive pretty much whatever the other folks who would need the, the dirt slash money don't have such luxuries, you know, right. They have to buy fresh water and stuff, which makes me wonder where all the fresh water and water world comes from, since he seems to be the only one with one of those filter things. But right. So the question we ask every time we do a drive in, well, I've got a couple uh, other oh. things as far as oh, unanswered okay. questions. Let me throw at you. Did we ever figure out why he has gills other than he's a, some kind of mutation? I don't know that we ever found out, but I know it, it's a kind of alluded to in that deleted scene that the he's, going, ending. Yeah. he's going back out to find, see if there's more people like him. Apparently you spend so much time on the water, just like anything in evolution in life, you start adapting. And I think, uh, you know, yeah. they call it a mutation, but it's just science at that point, I think, uh, yeah. adapting well, after it, years of. It's stuff. weird. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Is is it supposed to be like a, a part of evolution that just being in the water so much that he developed gills, or is it you know somebody had sex with a fish and <laughs> I, mean, no. I I don't know I don't know how well the, you know that's possible wanted, because yeah. we had that scene early on with the inbreeders <laughs> wanting him to yeah so i'm i was like you know i i don't know i, I wanted i just want to know the origin behind that so and i'll say this uh i don't know that they needed the whole mutation part in this movie <laughs> so, uh, i i guess you had to have something to where he could take her down to dry land to make that plausible yeah but for the rest of it i think this movie would have been better as a mad max on the water where he's a normal dude but yeah, well, he could have they could have shared the bubble somehow, or I, I don't know how they would uh, kind of work that, or have a mini sub or something that he found or put together to to get away from just having to have gills. Yeah. I was thinking there were some more scenes where he was like swimming really, really fast too under the water, and I didn't notice too many of those as I'm rewatching that he would need the web feet and you know the <laughs> the gills for to to have that mutation be more of an advantage to him than just, Hey, I can survive underwater. Yeah. Um, it, it worked for that scene where he pulls the, or holds onto the legs of those two smokers and drowns them basically as he's just kind of chilling there for a few minutes. And, you know, that worked really good for that. So I don't know. I, I was just kind of curious about that. Um, yeah. Like I alluded to before, showing her that underwater world or dry land when you're just minutes away from escaping the smokers was a little head scratcher there. I'm like, why are you doing this now? They're going to catch up to you. And sure yeah. enough, they surface and there they are, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, that, um, that was kind of puzzling the, uh, well, you know how it is having a nagging woman around. You got to get them <laughs> off your back. Yeah. And the, uh, the different languages, I thought that was kind of interesting that he he knew some other languages 
just to be able to trade or do whatever he needs to do. But mm-hmm. I was like, oh, do we need to invent another language? I guess maybe if there's uh, people from all over the world that survived and you're bringing them together. But that was just kind of weird to me. And it don't sound like from watching this movie that there are very many people left at all. Right. You know, it would kind of be easy to assume that, okay, there's atolls like this all over yeah. the world. But then he, he describes how far he came from the last one. And you're like, huh, well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. And that's what kind of was a head scratcher for me too. So you had these, uh, these people left from the atoll and you, you just kind of left them to go rescue the kid. And then, they, you know, they show up in the balloon with that one other guy and they're like, peace out. We're going to find Charlie. <laughs> Y'all are going to have to fend for yourselves from now on. And you would think that, uh, I don't know, there was a, I guess maybe it was more alluded to at the end or maybe in the alternate ending about going back for more people to, to get them to the island, uh, the dry land from yeah. that atoll. But <laughs> it's just funny that, hey, we'll figure this out ourselves, five of us, and we're out of here. Yeah, and, you know, they take a huge chance because if they don't find it, they know they're going to die. Right. So th- this movie hurts your brain if you think too deep about it. <laughs> it's right. That's right. <laughs> all right, that's all I had. All right, well, some other questions we always ask, though. So should this movie have a sequel? I don't know what you do in a sequel. So Well, I, I put down maybe. Uh, I, even a prequel might be fun to see. Yeah, I think a prequel would be more the yeah, way to go. How, how they got to that point and uh, having more access of the earth before everything melted, you know, I think that would be kind of a fun thing to do. And, you know, even a sequel after that, uh, picking up just basically where we left off, uh, I'd be fine with that. And, well, I guess in the theatrical version, he didn't necessarily. He was just more or less, I, I need to be on the water. Whereas in the alternate ending, he had more of a motivation to go find his other people. I'd mm. be more down for a sequel, something like that. Yeah, I guess that would, now that I think about it, it would be cool. Maybe he finds other people, but they all live under the water. Uh, in yeah. the underwater dry land, maybe those buildings are full of people like him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I like that. God, that'd be a horrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably no worse than Aquaman that we just got. You know, <laughs> well, I haven't watched it, so you haven't. No. So, was, should this movie okay. be remade or rebooted, or you think this movie would fly in twenty twenty? I think it. You can't do anything but improve on it. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I put maybe. Uh, I'm. I don't know with the if it has that much of a legacy that you could do the potential to, you know, do all the effects and everything that you need and get a, a, a reasonable budget for it at this point. So I don't know. I mean, you look at Avengers Endgame, game you don't have to have effects totaling that much, but you can pretty much make any effect you want these days in a movie. So you right. could green screen this thing and set them on the ocean and it would look 100% real. So I don't think that the yeah. budget would be a huge deal. It's just, I don't know that the world needs a water world movie since we've already got a great one, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I would lean more towards building off what was already created versus just flat out rebooting the whole thing. Yeah. So my favorite question on any of these is would this work as a Netflix series? 
And I think this for me is a, a total yes. It would. Yeah. Emphatic. Yes. Just thinking about, well, just watching it. I just felt like it dragged on and to do like a 40 minute episode and have like, you know, eight or 10 episodes, I think it would work great. You could, like you say, you could explore the underwater more. Um, you could try to find more, you know, oil reserves or whatever else to, you know, develop the island or see if there's any other ones, you know, do more exploring and finding his people. I think that would work great for a Netflix series. And I think the ideas from the prequel we talked about would work great as flashback episodes too. Mm-hmm. You know, you have some old man who may remember when there was more, you know, when he, I remember dry land and stuff, you know? Right. Right. <clears throat> and you know, just what you were saying about uh, green screen it, I just read recently that the Mandalorian was all on set. There was nothing outside that they shot for the Mandalorian. And you think about how like visually appealing that is. You can tell some scenes were green screened, but you could definitely, you definitely have the the technology to make a series like that and be on the water without being on the water. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would, I would actually probably prefer it to be more of a series Me too. and explore it more that way. I think, uh, I would be all in if I got up tomorrow morning and, and saw something on Twitter, like Netflix has commissioned a water world series. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Oh shoot. I don't have Netflix anymore. <laughs> that could almost bring yeah. me back though. Yeah. That could almost bring me back. Well, I think that's all I've got for this. Waterworld edition of TRN Drive-In 95. Yeah. You got anything else to add? Not a thing. I think you did a great job. Well, we'll let the listeners decide if we did a great job or not, but uh, <laughs> I had fun doing it anyway, and that's all I worry about. Yeah, yeah. I would just say overall, it was fun going back and re-watching it. If, if somebody's on the fence of, should I even bother? I, I think you should. Oh, yeah. For no other reason than we are a nostalgia-based entity, and just going back and watching it, I, at least it did for me. You remember things about when you first watched it, then you just recall without watching it. Yep. As far as I just came kind of flooding back of going to the theater and watching it and stuff. Like, man, I like this movie. I was excited to rewatch it. I don't know how long it'll be before I rewatch it again, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, and I think that's good. Uh, you know, you think of most movies you probably watch maybe once a year that are, you know, you're, you're in your wheelhouse. So I can see this, you know, getting on an annual rotation for me at least. Yeah, yeah. every few years. I, I don't think I'd watch it every year, but every few years I'll get nostalgic for it. But uh, next month is your pick of movies uh-huh. from 95. What are we going to? I need to start watching it because, you know, my time is always limited. I can start watching now. (laughs) Well, I was looking around trying to see what was available, and I think this might be available on one of the major streaming services. It's right on the – it's on my Stars subscription for Amazon as we speak, but um, we'll see if it comes somewhere else. But in March, it's the actual 25th anniversary for Major Pain starring Damon Wayans. And uh, Hillary from the Fresh Prince. I can't remember what her real name is. Um, I love Major Pain, and I don't remember it the first time I watched it, but I know it was rented several, several times when I would go to friends' houses, uh, 
whatever. Uh, I wa- remember watching the crap out of it. Uh, Are you eyeballing the ass eyes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just remember it being a, 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 a rental all the time. And there were so many lines like you're just spouting off from that movie that uh, I just can't wait to relive again. Um, I'm about I'm to gonna... put my right foot across the left side of your face. Yeah, I'm going to stick my foot so far up your ass, the water on my knee is going to quench your thirst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so was a fun movie. I went and saw that in the theater, too, with a group of people. Did you? Okay. Yeah, yeah I don't I don't think I saw it in the theater, but... Oh, I was a gosh. major fan of, of Damon Wayans from In Living Color. So, a- absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's what pretty much attracted me to the movie. Uh, Homie the Clown as a drill sergeant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But it's it turned out to be a, a a fun movie, very quotable, and uh, just all the the kids too. You know, they're they're fun in that movie, and all the stuff that they have to go through to to get to that point where they're you know finally a team. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I look forward to I look forward to rewatching that. I think uh, my kids will probably enjoy that too. So yeah, so major pain in March on TRN Drive In ninety five. Uh, I guess we'll wrap then. Uh, thanks everybody for listening, supporting us here on Patreon. Mick, thanks for putting all this together. This was really fun. Oh, you're welcome. So uh, tune in for Major Pain in March and uh, be out there. We'll probably tease it. We'll probably let you know where it is on streaming so you can go check it out before we do the show and uh, give it a little review yourself and leave us feedback if you want to that we can include uh, in our review as we've been kind of doing these more towards the end of the month uh, go ahead and knock it out early give us some feedback and we'll put it in with the podcast but for mickey this is jason thanks so much for tuning in to trn drive-in and we will see you next month <laughs>